This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Take a dose of every day But how am I supposed to stay In a world built on empty ways And the lessons of all the rage Let's do this! This is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. We are on Series 1, Episode 77. Taking it back to the basics. So a novice fly fisher walks into a fly shop. I wrote this last night. been pondering it for a couple of weeks. This literally happened today. A guy walked into the fly shop. Didn't know if he wanted a five, six, or eight. And we had to go through waiters and the whole shebang with him. And hopefully, Fredericksburg guy, if you're listening, this is going to all be redundant for you. We've been doing a lot of podcasts over the years. We really haven't gone back to the beginning. This is the podcast for those that are just jumping into it and they want to hear it with better audio quality and some updated stuff and perspective from uh, a guide and a shop employee. So my job as a guide is to recommend everything for my clients. My job as a shop employee is to sell everything to customers and hopefully my clients that come into the store. So sit back, relax. There's not a whole lot in this, but I'm sure I'll make it longer. I'm starting this at 6.59 p.m. I've got a belly full of curry, 
and you may hear some indigestion. So let's talk about the curry. It's one of the easiest things I make. So simple. It's two jars of like curry sauce, like a simmer sauce. Pour one and a half of those into a crock pot. Add a can of Chef's Choice Thai coconut milk. About six Trader Joe's, that's my preference, frozen chicken thighs. I added four chopped up carrots, a bag of frozen cauliflower, a couple of sliced up cloves of garlic. And I think that's it. Threw that in the crock pot at... 8 o'clock this morning, took it off an hour ago. An hour ago, I added Wondra flour. It's in a blue canister in the flour aisle. It's a very fine powder. And what you do is you just add it and it thickens everything up. So you lose the soupy consistency of the curry sauce. And then I made coconut jasmine rice. I put it over it with some rooster sauce. And it was fantastic. So good. So you might hear... Good meal coming back at you. Mmm, that was good. So let's get back to basics. These are the things you need when you walk into a fly shop and have nothing. When you're starting from scratch. So the first thing you're going to need is an actual fly rod. So what I'm going to say is, what are you fishing for? Where are you fishing for them and when? So I want to know what species they're throwing. That gives me an idea of the size of the fish. The presentation of the flies, the size of the flies, where kind of gives me, you know, weather, W-E-A-T-H-E-R, consideration with wind, and if it's going to be icy out, if it's spring. So you want to have those factors involved so the person selling you the rod doesn't sell you the wrong thing. And mind you, that fly rods are like golf clubs. I don't golf. I never plan to. But if I did walk into a golf shop, I'm sure I'd be as intimidated as pastry chef that walks into a fly shop you're just clueless it's completely different so we're going to go over rod lengths with you if you're going to be fishing in the mountains with lots of overhead branches you don't want a long rod if you're out in the open and you have the room you're going to want a long rod leverage allows you to throw better line longer line think of the water as your a axis your rod is your b axis or your b line a, B, and then C is your hypotenuse. So you've got the water, the length of your rod, and the longer that hypotenuse is, is based on the length of your rod when casting, if that makes sense. So if you're going to be fishing in the Shenandoah Mountains, I'm not going to sell you a 9-foot 5-weight. I'm going to sell you a 7-foot 3-inch three 3-weight three or a 6-foot six 2-weight. Six Something small for throwing small flies in tight conditions. Whereas if you're going to be going to British Columbia for steelhead, you're probably going to get like a 13-foot, 6-inch two-handed rod. I don't usually call them spay rods. Spay is a style. Just like you can't call people, what, is the, what did the teacher call them when I was teaching? Oriental. You can't call someone an oriental, but you can have oriental food. It's the style, if that makes sense. Could be a curry buzz I'm on. Just bear with me. Now, the types of flies, this person probably doesn't know yet. You don't know... The difference between all the flies out there. So what you're going to want to do if you come into my shop is get a catalog. And be sure you get catalogs from Orvis, L.L. Bean. Uh, who else has them? The Fly Shop. I'm trying to think of any others. That list, uh, Cabela's, Bass Pro, have a little bit. They list all the flies. And you want to put that catalog next to your toilet. And when you're there for a long time, just sit down and flip through. Best way to learn the flies. And then it'll break it down to what I'll talk about later.
Now, rods generally go from slow to fast action. The person will work with you. If you're going for striped bass in the ocean, you're going to want a faster rod to throw a nice tight loop, fast line, probably further distance, in the wind, on a boat, with a big fly. Now, if you're fishing in the mountains for little trout, you're going to want a fly that delicately presents your fly, slower rod. And I've always used the analogy of pasta. You know, fast rods, a raw piece of pasta, you know, mid-action rod is going to be al dente and your slow rod is going to be like cooked spaghetti, if that makes sense to you. Try to make the analogies to help things make sense. That's why Mr. Analogy came up with what he did. He became famous for this. Mr. Analogy has his tombstone. You can read all about it. You don't need the $800, $1,400 rods to start with. I would always suggest you get the low-end rod. And then once you decide that this is what you want to do, you step up, get a nicer rod, and now you've got a backup. Because you don't want to go on a trip, book a $1,400 ticket, fly around the world, or a road trip with your buddies, drive seven hours, and get there, and break your rod on the first day. You're screwed. So it's always good to have two rods. And this has happened to me. I drove to the Chesapeake Bay that one day in October of 1999, and there's bluefish and stripers just frothing the water up like 60 feet off the jetty and i did a big hero cast and snapped my eight weight well i didn't have another eight weight in the car so i drove all the way home and i think i ended up just going home getting a six weight and then going to the potomac river and not fishing a spot you'd want to fish back then the things i know now over the years all right so that should be your rods rods go in a system of weights zero to say 15 the line weights match the fly line you're going to have. And it's uh, zero rods, one weights, two weights are tiny itty bitty things that throw smaller flies. They're not going to throw big flies and they're more fun to play a fish. The heavier the rod you get, the more the designs are going to change, the grips, the components. It's going to be built for maybe tougher conditions, maybe saltwater conditions where things can corrode a rod if it's made out of types of wood, but if you have carbon fibers, they're not going to degrade if you get covered in salt. Rods will get longer, but nowadays you can get 10 foot three weights. 10 years ago, those were just odd, you know, people that build rods. Now, I think my mosquito fish is eating all my baby snails right now. I've got all these baby snails and this mosquito fish, he's doing something. I can't figure out what he is doing. You stay away. You already ate your brothers and sisters, dude. You should stay away from uh, my snails, homie. I have yet to find a baby snail in my tank. Every day there's two to three new packets of like 15 snails. I, I think they're eating them. So let's go back to rods. So that should be a good breakdown of rods, what you want to look for. Make sure they come with a case. You want to make sure they come with a warranty. Because if you do break your rod and you don't have warranty, you're screwed. And it's a debate in the industry whether they're giving out fly rods. But an expensive fly rod has kind of – they're expecting you to break it you know, one to two times. And that's built into the cost. And there's a $30 warranty, 25 bucks maybe. And just expect to pay that in the future. And they'll either repair a rod for you or they should ship you a new one. So choose a rod that is uh, – in a location where you can send it to easily and get it back. And if you do break a rod, try not to do it during a busy season when they've got 
loads and loads of rods. Some of these companies have customers all over the world breaking stuff and they all get them shipped back, you know, like late summer when everyone's been out all summer fishing. Go back and listen to the components of rods. Um, I would like eight weights to have hook keeps on them. That's just where you, you attach your fly instead of wrapping it around the butt and reaching up to your first stripping guide. <sighs> Never put your hook into the cork. That always aggravates me with clients. I'm like, great, that's a $600 rod and you just put a one-aught hook through the cork. And of course, rods, once you start fishing them, they depreciate. But they're still collector items. As long as you don't destroy them, knock out chunks of cork and break them and mangle them, they become collector's items. Absolutely. You know, bamboo rods, if they're stored carefully, are heirlooms. So that's that's rods. Let's talk about reels. Reels basically are there to hold your line. They are a storage unit. If you're fishing for something big that will pull line off your reel, you need a fancier reel. If not, a, a click and drag or a uh, a dragless like click and pull. It's just a, a clicker. Piece of plastic it goes in a circle, slows down the reel on the outward bound when a fish runs. You don't need one of these, but, you know, it, it takes the price out, makes it less expensive if you don't need a seal drag with all those extra components. So you're perfectly fine with a click and pull reel. Plus, they sound nice. I have a couple of them. I, I mean, they're like tiny ones, too, and I don't really use my tiny rods anymore because I'm fishing for snakeheads, carp, striped bass, in that order. So, yeah, I'm usually fishing fives and eights. Six is in between, depending on what my clients were using. If we got a client six weight strung up, I'll take that out. So your reel, they're always going to ask you, what hand do you reel with? And people always look so confused. They have to look at their hands, and they have no idea what hand they reel in their line with. The majority of us are going to cast with our right hand and reel with our left. You have people that say, oh, use your dominant hand for cranking in big fish. But you know what? My right arm... Probably if it's a dominant arm, it's probably better for fighting the fish. And then I can use my left hand to crank. I'd rather have that rod bent and use the muscles in my right arm to fight the fish than to use my left hand, which, you know, it's not my dominant hand. It can crank a reel. Probably don't want to fight in a big fish like uh, not the steelhead. The steelhead I did not catch two weeks ago. Reels also go in a system of weights. You'll have like uh, for zero to three weight, you'll have like four to fives, five to sevens, sevens to nines, 10 to 12s. Those are to accommodate a larger diameter fly line. We'll get into lines later, but if you have a super thick eight weight line, it's not going to fit on a three weight reel. It's think of feet. You can't put a size 11 in a size six. You can try all you want. Like Cinderella's Ugly Stepsisters, they had some nasty feet. I've seen the cartoon a couple times. Believe me, I got a little girl. And, uh, yeah, you can't put those those big, knobby, bunion toes up in a small shoe. Just like you can't put a seven weight and a four weight. It just doesn't work. Between your fly line and your reel, they're going to put some filler in. Now, the filler is made of nylon, Dacron. If it's... Uh, you know, zero to six weight, it should be 20 pound backing. If it's a seven to a 10 weight, it should be 30 pound. But you know, nine to 11, you might want 50 pound just to be safe. Dacron is a little thicker, 
So it will fill up that space between your line and your reel. So what you might want to do is go to something called gel spun. It's a thinner diameter material and you can pack more of it on to a smaller area. Now the purpose of backing not only to fill the reel up to keep your line on the outside so it's held in bigger loops, not tighter. Let's say you hook a tuna and on social media this week, there's pictures of some dude who hooked a freaking monster tuna and he's standing up with a tuna. And I'm like, like, oh, what, what? You usually don't catch tuna standing up. This dude found one somewhere on flats or it was on the drop off off a flat and he fought it. But look it up. Some guy caught a tuna on a flat, fought it, landed it. Epic picture. Hat off to that guy. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So if you do end up hooking a super big fish and your fly line averages 90 feet and a fish runs with a fast current downstream, after 90 feet, you would be screwed. Thus, we have backing connected to your fly line. And there are different ways to do that. Your fly shop person should be an expert fly tire. They should be able to do this flawlessly, nail knots versus... uh, Bimini twists, kind of the two big ones. And your reel, again, if you're fighting bigger fish, if you are fighting fish in nasty environments where there's all sorts of grit and grime, you're going to want to pay more for a reel that everything is sealed on the inside. So no salt, dried salt's going to get in there. Or if you put it in muddy water, when it dries, all those mud particles will get in there and gunk things up. Pay the extra money for a solid reel. And you know what reels to buy because you'll see them on, you know, all the the big fish porn pictures. You'll start noticing that there's just a couple of brands that people are using. I'm not going to name names, but you all know who they are. You've heard them on previous podcasts. Now, personally, my reels are old. These fish haven't changed. So I'm still fishing reels from the 90s and 80s. Uh, I got, you know, one reel from... This century, or two maybe, and they they do me well, but um, most of my stuff's just old banged up reels. And there's two types of reels, I guess you can also classify how they're made. You take a chunk of metal and you have a machine carve a reel out of it versus having a mold and they pour liquid metal into it. Those, if you drop them, can bend and get dinged a little easier than ones that are machined machined versus cast and i've seen people land big fish on cheap reels so don't think you can't do it there's the world record books always get you know some dude from walmart buys an 18 dollar outfit and goes out and catches like a 40 inch muskie boom world record right there and it wasn't on something fancy so your fly line fly line is a mechanism to deliver a mostly weightless object to the fish mostly going to be made out of polyvinyl chloride, PVC. And you have floaters, you have sinkers, you have some that hang out in the middle of the column. 
If they're floaters, they're going to have little bubbles in them to keep them buoyant. Off the top of my head now with the curry buzz, I can't think of what they put in intermediate that sit in the middle. But weighted lines will have some kind of tungsten or lead or dense material built into the line that's going to get it to sink. The sinking ones come in stuff that goes 1 to 2 inches per second, 2 to 4, 4 to 6, 10 inches per second. They make them all. And fly lines now are just so evolved. There are so many niche categories for species and locations that you can really get exactly what you want for what you need, for what you're throwing, where you're going. And that's what the fly shop person should be selling to you. They're not going to sell you the wrong stuff. They shouldn't be doing it to make uh, extra money. They should be doing it to you know make you happy that you come back again. You don't need a $900 rod to go catch stock trout down the street. It'd be fun, be more elegant, it'd be faster, there's nicer components in that rod, but all rods catch fish, just like all cars get you from point A to point B. Some just do it in better fashion. I mean, you could go in a lake car, or you could go in a Maserati, your choice, but they still do the same thing. Some have nicer seats and dashboards than others. Fly line. So you can pick a color of your choice. Most floating lines are going to be a bright color, something you can see. When we were up on the Salmon River two weeks ago, people upstream from us were fishing lines I couldn't see. And it makes it difficult when you're fishing that close to somebody else and you're fishing at the same time. So your lines are synced to float downstream at the same time. You both pick up and cast at the same time. And if you don't see their line, you're going to cast over them and get tangled and then it's just a mess. But that does give you a chance to find out what they're fishing. If it's some dude that's doing really well, by all means, don't tell him I said you this, but cast over his line and get tangled. Find out what he's using. Why not? Just do it covertly. Don't tell him I said I did not give you permission. Just hinting at this. And like I said before, you're going to get a fly line to balance your rod. They are done by grains. It's some ancient formula, but it has to do with a certain length of fly line has a certain density. Now, the more dense fly lines can throw bigger flies and throw in the wind. They're easier to cast. They have more mass. They have more momentum. Try throwing a Nerf ball versus like a real football. One's going to go further than the other because it has more mass. It goes further. It can break through the, the air. I guess if you're at higher elevations, you can cast further, right? You can throw a ball further up there because there's fewer air particles to... Uh, slow down you call that friction and there's species specific lines now so there's carp lines there's trout lines there's bass line there's musky line there's pike line there's tarpon line there's redfish line there's blobfish line there's probably a line for sharks um there's specific lines for tenkara i didn't even get into that but that's another type of fly fishing so what you want to do is ask questions the more questions you ask of the shop person the better they're going to answer. Say, well, you know, I want to do trout and I want to do largemouths. So I'd get you a bass line, something with a big heavy taper. You could throw some beefy streamers, throw some popping bugs. Don't buy double tapers unless you're only casting 30 feet at a time. Double taper goes skinny to fat and then fat to skinny. After you beat it up, you just unspool it, cut it off, reverse it, tie it back on. You have a clean piece of line. Um, lines nowadays are clean enough, are slick enough, are textured enough, 
don't really have to clean them like you used to. Uh, they will get wear and tear if you step on them, if they get caught in things. My running line on my Rio Skagit short got caught between my real knob and the reel and got a little nick in it. So every time I shot line out, I could feel that going over my hands. Wasn't pleased with it, uh, but it held up. And you want to make sure your fly lines have a loop on the end built in, a welded loop. That's going to allow you to attach your fly line easier. some point, it might get broken. You might have to cut it off. Bring it into your fly shop. They can either lash one onto there or they can create a new one out of the backing that I mentioned earlier. Sinking lines because they're going to go in the water, probably where there's not as much light. They're going to be darker colors. So you automatically know if you see a, a dark fly line, it's probably a sinking line. Intermediates can be clear. They can be dark green. And I love now that the head. So when you look at the back of a box of a fly line or a catalog, and it has a picture that's four inches long, and it looks like some weird like Dremel tool, and it goes from left to right, it goes really short, and then it gets really fat, and then it tapers and goes slow again. That is what the fly line would look like if you were 100 feet away from it, looking at all 90 feet. From left to right, head to the real portion. And that's going to show you the anatomy of a fly line. The fatter the head, the easier it is to cast, the easier it is to roll cast, to haul, to throw big lines. Fatter heads have more mass, more momentum. Hope that makes sense. Now, you've got your rod, you got your reel. From your reel, remember it goes backing, fly line, to leader. And I just got a text from Jason. Jason, this is like you're time traveling now. Pause. Okay, we were talking about some riffraff on the river. So your leader. Most commonly, it's going to be a piece of monofilament extruded from a machine. So if you think of a pasta machine, how you or a sausage, you shove it in the top and it comes out the side. So I believe these machines, you put in like mono pellets and it melts it down and extrudes them. That's what you can find in a fly shop. It's going to be in a little paper pack, maybe a clear plastic, and it's going to tell you the length and the weight. You can also have it made of fluorocarbon. The difference between fluorocarbon and nylon is that nylon is better floating and you have fluorocarbon, which is going to sink. Fluorocarbon light passes through, fish don't see it. Monofilament, light reflects off of it, fish can see it. If you're fishing for largemouth bass, you don't need clear stuff. You can go with regular. There's, it's twice the price. You know, I don't need black truffle shavings on a burger. It's unnecessary. Burger's fine by itself. Don't need the expensive for shad. Shad, I've never seen fly line. They don't know what a leader is. You're fine. The average length, I'd say, of a fly rod is nine feet. So the average length of leaders is nine feet. You'll also find them in shorter ones. You want to have it about the length of your rod. Now, if you buy a nine-footer and you want to make it 12 feet, add a piece of 30 to 40 pound at the butt, add a piece of 5X, you know, two feet on each end. So 30 pound, two feet. And then on the end, the thin end, you're going to add two feet of 5X. Now you've got a 9, 10, 11, 12, 13-foot leader. You're stealthier now. The leaders go in a section. The butt is the thickest part, and that is going to be the part that connects to your fly line. It has to do with the turnover of the fly. 
when your fly turns over from your cast, you have a thick butt, and then you have – that's not that funny, people. It's just a thick butt. It's going to turn over. You have your, your middle section and then your tip section. It goes in about three parts. So when I build my own, it's three sections, three feet each, 30-pound, 20-pound, 10-pound. If you buy one that's in a shop, there are no knots in it as if you tied it yourself. So the rule of thumb is after five flies, you're going to add on a new piece of tippet. Tippet, just like the last 18 to 20 inches, it's the thinnest part of your leader. It's not a separate part. It's just the tip part. It's the distant most piece from your fly line. The reason it's the thinnest is it's the part that connects the fish to the fly. If they see line, they're probably going to get spooked. So the thinner is more sneaky. If you want to buy refills of any of those to build them yourself or to add on, they come in little plastic spools and it'll have the diameter and the weight and everything else clearly marked. Now there's going to be an X on them, zero to eight X, we'll say. The way I was explained to this, it has to do with silkworm digestive tracts, which were the original source of leader material. I know they used cat gut at one point. So if you took a silkworm gut and you just stuck it on a line, it went through the extruding machine zero times, zero X. If you put it through the machine one time to thin it out, it's one X. If you want it thinner, roll it two times, two X, three X, four X, five X, progressively gets smaller as you continue to process this material. And thank goodness we have monofilament now because silkworms technically are ex they're extinct in the wild. So they can only be, and they've been extinct in the wild for hundreds of years. They, uh, they're basically just raised and they only eat, I think, mulberries, mulberry leaves. It's weird. They are a completely human... Uh, they have, they have a, their existence basically is all done by humans now. You let them out, they're going to die. Um, it's completely artificial. Oh, let's see, leaders. Doo -doo. So what do you want to do to tie your pieces together? You can do a blood knot, which is two pieces together, and you wrap them this way and thread it through and pull. We have YouTube for that. That's the knot I prefer. The other one is, uh, I'm getting a phone call. Excuse me. Wow. So that was a client of mine customer when I worked at Orvis back in the late 90s. And he worked in D.C. near the White House. Wink, wink. And he had a jewelry store. So when I got engaged, he called ahead and got me basically a discount on the engagement ring, which is a Henry David, I believe, but we designed it ourselves and the wedding ring. So he saved us like $10,000 was at our wedding. Um, once I left the shop in, in 03, hadn't really seen him, bumped into him a couple, couple times going into the store and him being there. And he came in the shop last week. So we're reconnecting and we might go out for stripers this weekend. Depends on the Redskins game though. I don't know when they play. So where was I? Leaders, yeah, so I'm not going to talk about furled leaders, um, but you basically want to match your tippet to the size of the eye ring of the fly and how big the fish are going to be. You don't want to go after salmon with 5X, and the shop employees will help you determine 
the exact diameter of the fly leader. Sorry, the leader of. Oh, man. I got to take a breath. I'm so full. Is that coconut rice? It's expanding right now. And it's Chef's Choice. Because when you go to the multinational, international grocer and you see Thai women only buying one brand of coconut milk, you start buying that one. And you realize it's pretty good. So leaders. Yeah. So ask, ask the employees. They'll help you pick out the right one. So knots. When you need to tie all this stuff together, I'm just going to drop the names. You may want to write them down. These are about the only knots I use, and I've been doing this for a while. And I think these are all the ones you need. There's plenty more. I've got knot tying apps. There's one on the Orvis, I think Orvis uh, Learning Center and Orvis app. There's YouTube tutorials. There's so many different things. And when I was a kid, I had this little plastic card I got from Sports Authority. And then it just had, you know, the pictures of them. And I, I still remember the day sitting down and learning to tie blood knots watching Mr. Belvedere. And that show's actually still on. It's on reruns. Wesley. So the blood knot. Got to know the blood knot. Perfection loop. That is if you want to make your own leaders and have a loop on one end to thread through to your fly line. Triple surgeon's loop. I use that for... I use a surgeon's loop for putting flies on sometimes. If I'm not going to use that, I'll use the no-slip mono loop. Fantastic one. The arbor knot. And now unless you're going to be putting back into a reel, you don't need to know the arbor knot. And uh, improve clinch. That's, I wrote clench knot. Clenching is something else. We're clinching here. We're not. And last but not least, a nail knot. Nail knot is great for adding, um, you know, putting loops on your own lines, adding uh, amnesia, which is an orange bright line to your fly line. It's also a strike indicator. See it on the Great Lakes. It's about the only place. People down here are always like, what is this giant piece of orange line? And I'm like, just watch that, man. If you see it move, set the hook. All right, that's fly knots. All right, wearables. And then there's some things that you absolutely have to have. So you got to have a rod, reel, line, uh, backing, fly line, leader. Got to have those. Otherwise, what are you doing out there? You need polarized glasses. I don't care if they're cheap. I don't care if they're expensive. You got to have sunglasses. Not just to see the fish and not just to know where to step, but knowing where to cast and not getting a hook in your eye. Now, Smitty was telling a story that his client, you know, you can start fishing at sunrise up there in New York. And this guy waited out and started casting. It was still dark. And all of a sudden, Smitty hears this guy scream and just like bend over. And he wades over and the guy's like just covering his face, just screaming. Well, it turns out he put a hook through his cornea. And it was barbed. And I'm cringing right now. And Smitty said his clients, this guy's buddies, all kept fishing. And they eventually got another guide over who um, was in the military and did some first responding. And they got the guy to the hospital eventually. And it turns out he had glaucoma, didn't know. So they did all these surgeries and he ended up, you know, better off. But dude, he got a barbed hook in his eye. That's just disgusting. You know, you really only get one shot at having your eyes and you want to protect them. You're fine with Walmart pairs. You're better off with Costa's. 
As my roommate in college said, you've heard this before if you've been listening for years, cheap beer, expensive prophylactics. We have midges hatching. I got a midges just came off the tank. So he would go with expensive prophylactics and cheap beer. All rods catch fish, so why not get an inexpensive rod and save your money for a sweet pair of Costas? Costa will take care of you if something happens to them. That's what the good brands do. Waiters. Now, I'm not going to sell you waiters if you're going to go wet wading in July, unless it's maybe the Potomac and you don't want to grow boobs. Waiters are what keep you protected from the elements. They come in two forms, ones that have boots attached, one that have boots separate. Boots detached, they're great for ankle support. They give you better warmth and insulation. They give you freer movement. Hot air builds up, keeps your feet warm in the cold. The reason they're great for surf fishing is sand can't get in them. If you have a stocking foot, it just has a neoprene booty on it. And you sit down and you slide your boot over the neoprene, tie your boot down. If you're like me and you wear corkers, you click them shut. I have a metal ratchet system instead of laces. If you were to step with those into the surf, you're going to get sand everywhere. It's going to build up under the arch of your foot, and it's just going to be super uncomfortable. The benefit of boot foot over stocking foot is it's one price. Stocking foot, you got to choose your boots. Do you want like $80 or like $200 boots? And it's going to depend on what you're doing and where you're going, especially the soles on them. I always suggest sticky rubber with the option to put metal screws in them. Metal screws, just they cut into the rocks. They give you better grip, just like a golfer has in the grass. Why there's more golf analogies, I don't know, but golfers do it. Never felt that. That's an unintentional pun. I never liked felt-soled boots. Even synthetic felt out now, I'm not going to wear it. I'm going to wear sticky rubber. And it's just more comfortable for me. I get better traction. Gives me a little more confidence on the river. One other benefit of boot foot is if they freeze, you can get into them in the morning. If your wading boots freeze, if you're camping, leave them outside overnight, they're going to freeze shut. And you're not going to be able to get them back on. You're screwed. Now, the price of waders goes up when you include bells and whistles. How many layers are built into them? How do the shoulder straps adjust how many pockets are built into them for cell phones for your hands to slide in? Are there little retractor things and hemostat clips? Um, is the knee reinforced? Is the butt reinforced? Are there fold-over things to keep grit and grime from getting in the top part of your boot? You'll call that an uh, ankle guard. Again, like most other things, the more bells and whistles, the higher the price is going to be. If you want, and I'm strictly talking breathable waders. I'm not even going to go into neoprene. And it's just that barrier. So if you're going to be out in the cold, you have to wear things underneath. And I'll direct you to the layering for cold weather fishing, which I completely negated the teens. I went from 20 degrees to the zero degrees, like zero to 10, skipped 11 to 19 and just did 20 to 30. I don't know how that happened. So what else can I say about waders? So you're basically paying for how often you wear them. If you're out four or five days a week, if you're a hardcore person, if you're a guide, you're going to want to wear the most puncture-resistant ones, four, five, six layers of material. 
that's going to cost you hundreds of dollars. If you're going to be the weekend warrior and go out a couple times a year, get a pair of low-end ones. They're, you know, don't climb barbed wire. Don't go running through pricker bushes. Don't scramble on your butt down, you know, rock walls. Those are all things that are going to destroy your waders. And you should carry a pack of that, uh, I forget what it's called, but it um, solidifies when sunlight touches it. And we sell it at Orvis. You sell them separately. It also comes with your waiter. It's a little tube. And it's got, it's the same people that make Tenacious Tape. Maybe it's Tenacious Gear. I don't know. Great stuff to have. That's the stuff I use to fix my daughter's toys and all sorts of other crap. So you definitely need polarized glasses. You definitely need waders if you're going in the water in adverse conditions. Fishing hat. Got to have something to shade your face. If you're out in the summer, it's just going to keep you cool. There's the boonie hat, which is the exact mathematical formula for the best shade for small size. I like a big cowboy hat or a Dorfman Pacific. If there's not as much sun, I'm going to wear a baseball hat. But it's the shade it provides. Lefty Cray tells you that the inside of your bill, the brim, should have black. So light is absorbed, not reflected into your eyes. So the hat not only keeps your eyes protected further, but it keeps your head cool and that just keeps you from going into heat stroke or keeping wind and sun off of you. And the funnier the fishing hat, the better. If you got one that's just goofy, more power to you. Sunscreen, definitely should have that. I'm going to tell you to get Dermatone, which is a brand that doesn't have any scent in it. So the fish can't smell it when it's on your fly line. If you touch your flies with it, you're fine. Face mask, I'm wearing, um, you know, I wear buffs. I have... Who rags and I have black strap ink. Just get the one you like, get a pattern you like, make sure it's SPF, water wicking, cool masks, etc. That's gonna keep the sun off your neck. You can pull it up over your face for extra warmth, cover it from the sun, cover it from bugs. It's an extremely versatile thing. We're not wearing bandanas anymore on our faces. These things, my gosh, I'm getting so many texts. Working on writing an article with uh, my old neighbor for a publication. So he's texting me now. You have a lot of text to get to while I'm eating my seconds. Face mask. I'm wearing, um, you know, I wear buffs. I have who rags and I have black strap ink. Just get the one you like, get a pattern you like, make sure it's SPF, water wicking, cool masks, etc. That's going to keep the sun off your neck. You can pull it up over your face. For extra warmth, cover from the sun, cover from bugs. It's an extremely versatile thing. We're not wearing bandanas anymore on our faces. These things, my gosh, I'm getting so many texts. Working on writing an article with uh, my old neighbor for a publication. So he's texting me now. You have a lot of text to get to while I'm eating my seconds. Sun gloves, first sign of age is your hands. They shouldn't card you at the liquor store. They should look at your hands. And... I was told about sun gloves by my entomology professor in college, freshman year, first semester. She's like, I don't do not go outside in the garden without SPF gloves. And I'm like, SPF gloves? What are those? And I finally saw them in a fly shop four years later after I graduated. They're just gloves that keep the sun off your hands. It's a pretty good idea. And they're great when you're rowing a boat all day. They keep your hands from getting all calloused. Vest. Now... 15 years ago, vests, everyone had them. They hold all the junk. So I'm going through what you need. So definitely need waders, polarized glasses, and 
that's it from this bulleted list of like 10 things. A vest is an accessory to carry all the crap that you buy over the years and things you don't need to carry. So they've gone away from them and there's shoulder bags and sling packs, um, chest packs, all these other modular bags, soft goods, if you will, that can store just the basic stuff if you want to carry just the basics, which is good. I carry a Patagonia shoulder bag because it holds three fly boxes, a bottle of water, and two to three spools of line. And I carry extra tools in there in case we lose something. Thus, I'm not carrying a guide bag, which will hold 30 fly boxes. It's like Captain Caveman. You can pull so many things out of those. By the end of the day, you're just tired of carrying all that crap. So there's vests and then there's packs. Your fly shop employee should guide you through those. The water bottle holder is the key selling feature for why I bought the Patagonia one at the time. Because I need to stay hydrated because it's hot out there. Gadgets. This is where we get into trouble. One, two, three. You know what? Instead of counting these, I'm going to make the bulleted list numbers. 16 things. Three of them you have to have. So if you were to walk in a fly shop and I'm going to sell you just the bare necessities for you to go safely, successfully catch fish. This is what you need. Nippers, hemostat, and file. I'll go through the rest. Nippers, fancy tool for cutting fly line. Don't use your teeth. Your teeth will get destroyed if you are biting fishing line. And there's other things you might have to cut. So a pair of nippers, they range from $8 to $50. Whereas you could just use a nail cutter from the thrift, from the dollar store. They're all going to do the same thing. Just cut your line. Nippers, hemostat, and file. I'll go through the rest. Nippers, fancy tool for cutting fly line. Don't use your teeth. Your teeth will get destroyed if you are biting fishing line. And there's other things you might have to cut. So a pair of nippers, they range from $8 to $50. Whereas you could just use a nail cutter from the thrift, from the dollar store. They're all going to do the same thing. Just cut your line. You have to have something to cut old line off to clean off fly line from your fly eyes when you swap them out, etc. Pliers are great. I use pliers now. They've got nippers on them. They're attached to my um, waist if I'm wearing like shorts on the boat or if I'm wearing waders, they're attached to the belt on the waders. It's what you use to smash barbs and take hooks out of fish. Hemostat, you have to have. It's less expensive than a plier. You can get them at any medical supply store, any fly shop. Now, the fly shop ones are geared for fishing. The ones in a you know, military surplus or health store are there to like clamp medical things. The hemostat smashes barbs. It's got narrow tip, hopefully, to reach down, take the hook out. A, so you can reach down a fish's throat. And B, so if they got teeth, they ain't going to bite you. The ones in a fly shop should have larger thumb holes and index finger holes. They should hopefully have a flat piece specifically for mashing split shot and fly barbs. Now, if you're buying your bar flies pre-barbed, you're better. You don't have to worry about that. And then they hopefully have an eye punch. So if you have paint on one of your eye, fly eyes or there's extra monofilament in there or some nail polish, you can pop the hole through there. Now, there's a great one on the pitchfork tool by um, 
fish pond, but I ended up sticking that into my finger at least 10 times. Those were my favorite nippers when I used nippers. A knot tool. If you've got shaky hands or bad eyes, a tool to help you tie knots is always great. I can't really tie a, a nail knot anymore without my nail knot tool. Strike indicator is another term for a bobber. They come in all shapes and sizes from styrofoam to plastic to stick on ones to slide on ones to clip on ones to ones that screw on. It's a fancy term for a bobber. It keeps your fly at a certain depth off the, the uh, bottom of the stream. It also lets you know when you have a bite. Thermometer, if you want to take the stream temperature, if you're going to have some kind of journal that tells you a barometer, temperature, sunlight, all the different factors, and then you want to cross-reference those to better days, go for it. Stomach pump, controversial. It's like a turkey baster if you can't figure out what a fish is feeding on. And don't flip over rocks and don't look at spider webs. Just because it's there doesn't mean fish are feeding on it. You know, there's kale in the fridge right now. I'm not eating that. That's the wife's. If you flip over rock and see a, a green caddis, you know, a little green snot rock worm, just because there's a caddis fly under the rock doesn't mean that's what they're eating downstream from you. So a stomach pump does tell you what they're eating. You squirt water in their belly and suck it all out and everything in their stomach, um, their gut contents comes out. You squirt it in the palm of your hand and you can obviously see what those fish have been eating. And you just depleted that fish. So you've already caught the fish and exhausted it. It's full of lactic acid. Now you're going to deplete it of all its nutrients from the last 10 hours. I mean, it's not my thing. Uh, magnifier helps you tie your knots. Hey, you can start a fire if you get lost in the woods. Line cutters, another term tool for cutting fishing line. Uh, a tippet holder. So if you've got a lot of spools of tippet, you can put them on a holder. And you can go from 0 to 7x, having them in order, easily obtainable. A file. You have to have a file. I don't care if it's uh, for fingernails or if it's a diamond file for fishing or for jewelry or for um, hardware. If your fly is hitting tree branches and rocks and other obstructions, your hook point is not sharp anymore. It may even have changed shape. You need to sharpen it and keep that hook point where it was when you bought it so you can stick it through the membrane between the mandible bones of a fish's mouth. It's that easy. Dull hooks don't work. Flashlight, if you get stuck out there, you're going in early. A knife is always good to have. I've got the new Punisher knife. The wife found for me. Listen to this. Pretty cool, right? It's like a stiletto almost. And it's got the Punisher logo on it from the comic books that the kids read. Uh, PFD, personal flotation device. If you're fishing some crazy fast water, you're not sure if you can swim, wear a life jacket. I'm not going to laugh at you if you're thinking about safety first. Not at all. I always wear one on the boat. Always, always. It doesn't matter if I'm on the lake I grew up on. It doesn't matter how strong you are, how healthy you are, what type of water it is. At any point, somebody can lose consciousness and fall in. And if you're unconscious, you're going to sink once the air in your chest gets expelled and I'm going to have to be the one that goes in after you unless it's like chain bridge, reach, throw, never go. If you fall on off the boat on a lake, calm water, no fast current. I'm going to go in, headlock you from behind, inflate mine, drag you up. But if you fall in a chain bridge, um, 
First thing I'm going to do is call 911, and then I'm going to run down the river following you, doing whatever I can. A whistle. Someone falls in, you blow a whistle. Simple as that. Flies. Okay. So you've bought all your gear, and now you need flies, the, the main thing that's going to connect you to a fish, which is why you walked into a fly shop in the first place. Flies have two categories, dry flies, wet flies. Dry flies can be further broken down into terrestrials and waterborne insects. Terrestrials. And your flies should be organized in the shop exactly this way. And the catalogs will have them broken down, and then it further will break them down into the type of insect. So terrestrials, ants, beetles, leaf hoppers, uh, frog hoppers, um, crickets, insects that have a completely terrestrial life that inadvertently end up in the water. So you'll pull out a drawer, open a drawer, slide a drawer, beetles, ants, grasshoppers, crickets. Um, there's so many, you know, we only have so many varieties of flies, but if you were to go out with a brush net and scoop along the stream, you're going to find so many things that there's not flies for. And if you go back to my trap fly podcast a couple of weeks ago, you're going to realize I got three sizes of Chernobyl ants to match every possibility out there. Greens and blacks. That's what I throw. Your waterborne insects that are dry flies are going to be something that lives its aquatic life. So right next to me in my tank here, I've got midges, which are flies. I have a crane fly, which is a true fly. I've got some caddis flies. I got my stone fly underneath my rock. I'm not sure what else is in here at the moment. But these organisms in my tank here will spend a couple of years as an aquatic organism taking advantage of life underwater in a niche where they're not competing for food with their grown-ups. Now, the grown-ups... There's going to be an emergence, a hatch, if you will, where these organisms will move to the water surface, break through the surface, and begin probably a short oh, – oh, I thought a baby snail. I don't know what kind of snail that is because Admiral Akbar died, but I've got a baby Admiral Akbar snail in the tank. This one looks like it could be another Admiral Akbar. This will be Akbar the third. And the reference was to the eyes on the snail. He's the one that did not like the UV light shined on him. So then they're going to emerge, and most likely they're going to mate. These are your mayflies, your caddisflies, your stoneflies, your dobsonflies, your craneflies, your trueflies. And then the adults usually, well, some of them don't make it off the water, but they're on the water surface. They get eaten. Some of them go to the trees, come back to mate. They're exhausted from mating. They fall in. They get eaten. Some of them are floating on the surface of the water waiting for their wings to fill with hemolymph, the fluid inside their veins. It's the uh, analogous blood to us. We've got, you know, blood. They've got hemolymph. And while they're doing that, they're vulnerable. I'm surprised I can say that word. I always mispronounce vul. Again, yeah, I'm not going to try. And those would be you know, your dry flies that are like stimulators and quills and wolves and... The big poofy ones, preferably something you can see from far away. Now, your next set of flies are, well, I'll continue with dries. You can also have mice and birds and snakes and lizards. All sorts of critters fall in the water and get eaten. I, there's still the story I remember about someone saying they cut open a striped bass off a of main and they're bear cubs in the guts. So who knows? We'll keep that as an urban legend. 
Your wet flies further break them down into nymphs and streamers. Nymphs represent the insect larval stage. Caddisfly, mayfly, stonefly, truefly. Dobson fly. Um, there's also not insects. You have freshwater shrimps, scuds. There's crest bugs. Um, snails get eaten. If it's in the water, it's fair game. Just remember fish are like babies. Fish put everything in their mouth. Hopefully it's your fly that they try and then your line moves to show that they bit it and then you set the hook. So those are your nymphs. You also have streamers. Streamers are going to be more of a bait fish pattern. The larger organisms that dash and dart throughout the water. And streamers have just gotten crazy. They used to be pretty basic back in the day and now they are just... They look like the trunk of a clown car, man. There's so much flash and wiggle and shaking those things. It's crazy. And the idea is there's more movement, more shake, more wiggle, more size. You're going to get a bigger fish. Bigger fish wants more calories. Where are you going to put these flies now that you bought them? And flies are going to range from a buck to, I don't know, there's like $20 billfish flies. But if you're spending the money to go to Costa Rica to go fly fishing, $20 fly is not that big of a deal. You have different types of fly boxes and they all go in prices from hand carved wooden ones to cheap foam ones. Foam ones, you, you open them up like a book, stick your fly in, pull your fly out. There are some that have silicon in them. Some, I should say one, it's the tacky fly box and it's like self healing silicon. You stick your fly in, you pull it out. This, the hole fills up. These are great because the flies don't move. You have magnetic ones. You have ones that have little compartments. And the idea behind the compartments is it's a spring-loaded lid that opens a little box. And if you put your big bushy flies in there, they're going to be encased in the box and they're not going to get crushed. There's slit ones. There's nub ones. There's some that are made out of sheep. There's a myriad. You want to find the one that's going to fit where you're going to put it. Do you want it to go in your pants pocket, your shirt pocket? Do you want to stick them in your hat? Are they going to go in your vest, your sling pack, your boat, your dry bag, your boat bag? Do you have room for big ones or are you just going to go with little ones? Are you going to carry 100 flies or are you going to carry just a couple of flies? It all depends on your style of fishing. I like the foam ones. They float. They should be blazed orange so easy to see when you drop them. And always, always, always put your name on them. Other things, and we're going to finish this out because I want seconds. Waiting staff. It's just something that helps you walk through the water. It could be a piece of tree branch you broke, or it could be a fancy pole, a trekking pole that you bought in the store. Whatever helps you have that third point of contact with the substrate while you're walking, safety first. You may want a stripping basket. It's just something you wear around your waist, and you deposit your line in it while you retrieve it. So it doesn't get caught up on jetties, in the boats, on rocks, on docks. It's a taming device. Do you want a net? That's going to bump your budget up 100 bucks. You can get cheap ones from China. You get beautiful handmade ones out of the Riffle Woodworks. Say that again. If you want a really nice net out of the Riffle Woodworks. Beautiful ones. I personally, if I start trout fishing again, well, I've got my big... Costa Rican hardwood one. That's beautiful. The Nomad, they're not Nomads anymore. The Nomad was bought by Fish Pond. They're fiberglass. They float. They're lightweight. They've got tape measures on them. They're wood ones. There's some with 
clear rubber bags so the fish don't see it when you scoop them up. Some have black. Some have gray. Some have uh, nylon mesh. It all depends you know, on the price you're willing to pay. The more expensive ones, they're going to have the rubber bags. That's just for safety for the fish. Water filters. It's a great idea if you don't want to carry water all day because you never know how much you are going to drink. So having a filter, a bottle where you could fill it up and squeeze it in your mouth, it's great. I used to think I was taking the energy and the essence out of the trout streams. Uh, Tom once didn't use the bottle, bottle properly and ended up drinking straight Rappahannock River water. And with about four hours, he could not control his explosive diarrhea. Eventually had to go to the hospital that day. You never want to see a man use a glossy piece of airline ticket for toilet paper. It's not pleasant. It's a good way to lose weight, but it's not pleasant. You don't want beaver fever. First aid kit, another good thing to have. So I'm going to go through this. These are the basic things if you walk into a fly shop and you're intimidated. Um, you might need books and local maps, but what you do need is rod, reel, line. You need flies, leaders, and tippets. You need nippers, hemostats, fly box, sunglasses, and a hat. That is it. Everything else is superfluous. Extra stuff that is great. I love gadgets. You know, every year you open up a catalog in January and see new stuff. But these are the bare bones, minimalist list of things to buy to start fly fishing. I hope that worked for you. That was uh, about one hour. And I am going to go email the person I want to interview next week. So enough of me talking. We're going to get someone else. And if we can get him, he's, he's agreed to do it. You can be pretty damn impressed. Got a lot of questions for this one. So without further ado, let Jason do his thing. I'm going to go watch some TV while I eat my seconds. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com.